Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach Brendan Sir, and I'm so excited today to share the Stetson Virtual Clinic with uh, Billy Donovan, Donnie Jones, and myself. Uh, that was just simply outstanding. D- Billy is uh, one of the great, great coaches, Hall of Fame coach I've ever been around, and uh, his knowledge and insight that he shared with our listeners today. It was just off the charts. So I know you get a lot out of it. Donnie Jones was uh, terrific in this conversation. They're such close friends, and I think you'll enjoy. After this quick timeout from our partners, we'll be right back with the Stetson Virtual Clinic. Fast Model Sports is the world's most comprehensive, versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy to use interface that can be used on both your computer and iPad to providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. It doesn't stop there. Along with FastPro, they have other great programs such as Fast Scout, which helps coaches create clean, professional scouting reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by all NBA and WNBA teams, 85% of Division I college teams, and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, They also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills on their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. Hey, I'm head coach Donnie Jones here at Stetson University. And uh, thanks for joining in here today uh, on Hatter clinic and we're excited to uh have a special guest but most importantly for me uh, a special mentor and friend and a lot of other things i could talk about uh head coach billy donovan with the oklahoma city thunder um my relationship goes back with billy all the way back to 1996 uh when i was an assistant coach there at uh, marshall university and billy uh was named the new head coach there at marshall and and i was fortunate enough to uh, have the opportunity to stick around and have a chance to to work with him and uh, had the opportunity to, to be a part of his first staff there. And uh, we went on from uh, Marshall, obviously on to Florida, and we spent 
two years at Marshall, and I spent 11 years by his side there for 13 years uh, as an assistant coach and uh, learned so much, uh, not only just in coaching, but obviously as a, as a family man, a father, and so many other influences that he had on me as a young coach. But we had a chance uh, with our families and, and the people around us. Uh, we spent a lot of time together in friendships and relationships. And we shared some great moments there. And I, I learned so much in my coaching, uh, how to build teams, uh, how to build players, how to build chemistry, uh, how to uh, handle adversity, how to handle success. Uh, there were so many different emotions along that ride to the mountaintop that we experienced together as a young coach. It's helped me to this day. And so we're honored to have Bill with us. And, you know, one question I always get asked about Billy and my time with him is they always, they always ask, what did you learn the most? And, and obviously it's hard to put that in one or two sentences, but uh, probably two things. I think one thing is uh, Billy's uh, humility uh, in, the, in the ability that he's seen everybody as a teacher, uh, no matter who it was. Uh, if it was the, the janitor or if it was the trainer, if it was the strength coach, if it was another coach, uh, if it was an NBA assistant, or it was us. He had the ability to listen uh, with great humility, take what there was something to learn from and, and utilize it and made everybody feel like they were a part. Uh, I think that's one quality. I think the second thing uh, was just his ability to, to lock in and focus in the moment. Yeah, I had some great comments and obviously a great speech in 96 when he was talking about living in the moment to our team. But he had the ability to get people locked in as well as himself. Uh, regardless of what happened yesterday, he was locked in the next day. You know, we talk about what do you do the day after, a win, a loss, whatever it is. He's got the ability to be able to pick back up and be able to lock back in with a different focus and everybody to follow. So those are two things I'd say starting off. And, you know, we're going to have an opportunity here. Coach Sir is going to take over here now and ask Billy some questions here. And, and so feel free to uh, send in your questions, and uh, we'll ask those as well. So uh, it's great to have uh, Coach uh, Donovan with us, and uh, we'll go ahead and send it over to Coach Sir. Coach Billy D., how are you, my friend? Doing great, Brendan. How are you? Okay. And, Donnie, thanks for that nice intro. Um, two, two of my favorite people I'm on with, so I'm, I'm glad I could be with you guys. Uh, well, you know, it's great to have you on. You haven't lost the game in two months. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Isn't that great? Hey, what, what's, the, what's the biggest difference? And we used to talk about this in the years that, since we've known each other to when you went to OKC. What's the biggest difference now between college and pro coaching that you can reflect on? Well, you know, I think there's so many. And, you know, Brendan, you've had obviously more experience in the NBA than, than most people. So, you, you, you know, sometimes I think it's hard to explain to you know, a, a college coach or even a high school coach. But I think you first have to start with is the rules. The rules of the game are totally different. You know, you look at the dimensions on the floor. You're playing with a wider uh, three-point, uh, excuse me, lane line. You're playing with a wider lane line. You're playing with a deeper three-point shot. You're playing four quarters, uh, all fouls. If it's not shooting fouls, are taken out on the side. Uh, you have to save timeouts to the end to be able to advance the ball, late game situations. That's different. I think the players, for the most part, um, have experienced everything that they can possibly experience as a player. You know, when you start talking about guys that are in their mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s, they've seen it all. And, you know, 82 games, a lot of games, and I'm always amazed at how much these guys can get themselves ready night after night to go back and play. And they've learned how to pick themselves up 
you know, when they've had some shortcomings or failures, they've been able to handle success. Uh, they know how to get themselves prepared and ready to play. I think a lot of times when you're dealing with high school, college guys, you're teaching them how to do those things. These guys, for the most part, know how to do that. Uh, I think when you have rookies come in, you know, they've got to develop a routine and a, and a pattern to help themselves get ready to play. Uh, but the games are really totally different. And the players, I think, because of the experience and their knowledge and what they've been through as players, uh, they've already got a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of experience to, to draw upon. You know, um, I've always said that the players that I had in 30 years, let's say, of coaching in the NBA, whether starting with a Dominique Wilkins or Doc Rivers as a young player, um, all the way through Isaiah, Dumars, Rodman, Lambeer, and those guys, I've always felt that they taught me more than I ever taught them. Because I, I actually think they're absolutely the best ones are geniuses in their profession. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think you're 100% right, Coach. I think the biggest thing is that I tried to do when I first came to the NBA is, you know, I had not coached an NBA game. And you've got Kevin Durant, you've got Russell Westbrook, Serge Ibaka, Nick Collison, a lot of veteran experienced guys that had played against the San Antonio Spurs, the LA Clippers, or Los Angeles Lakers, a bunch. They know personnel very well. Uh, they're very, very disciplined and committed to their craft, to working at it. Uh, I think for those great players, uh, it goes beyond just a practice floor. They go home and they study and get themselves ready and prepared to play. But I think to your point, it's exactly right. There is a lot you can learn. And when you've got a player that's played six or 700, 800 NBA games, there's a lot of experience. And I, and I tried to draw upon uh, those experiences when I first got to the NBA. And I was very fortunate that they were such a great group of guys and, and guys that certainly were probably very patient with me. You know, coming from college, there is certainly a learning curve. I tried to work hard in terms of catching up and watching film and, and being as prepared. But, you know, they have a lot of insights on how they want to guard specific matchups. They have great insights on different actions that are being run. And I think if you, you know, can draw upon their experiences and partner with them and work with them, I think it's for the benefit of the overall team. And, and I also get like, you know, when you're in high school, you're in college, you know, you're having to direct the players. And a lot of times, I think in the NBA, when you can pick a player's brain on certain actions or certain things that they feel comfortable with, I think there's a lot to learn because everybody is a little bit different. You know, everybody's got a different skill set, different abilities. And I think as a coach, you know, you're always trying to, at any level, put those guys in the best position to be able to utilize what they do well. And the way you do that is by communicating with them and them sharing what they feel like they do do well. Yeah. Donnie? Yeah, I, th I think Billy, uh, you know, one big question here. This guy, Stan from Orlando, just sent in. He wanted to know if you had to start over again in college, uh, what was something you'd do different right off? Yeah, I think the, the one thing, Donnie, that's hard, and Brendan can really speak to this, because of the zoning rules, because of the lane line, because of the three-point line, the spacing in an NBA game is entirely different than the college game. You know, uh, you know everybody in college is talking about getting into the lane to provide help, you know, getting your head both feet in the lane. You can't play like that in the NBA. So there are some things defensively that I think that can be very, very effective, you know, in college. I think you're starting to see more and more college teams go to it. I think before I left and went to the NBA, a lot of pushing or downing or icing pick and rolls on the side, you know, that's something I think that's very, very 
uh, effective. And I think it'd be even more effective in college because you can pull the weak side all the way over and, and provide help. So much of the NBA game based on coverages is you have big men that can catch the ball in the pocket. I think in the college game, it's hard to throw the ball in the pocket. So I think it, looking at, you know, pushing, downing, or icing or whatever terminology you want to use is, is, is effective. I think the other thing, too, is so much of the NBA game has been, been really analytically driven. So I think the first thing that a lot of people don't realize is if, if you're giving up about 105 points a game in an NBA game, you're going to have the number one defense in the league. So what you're really trying to do is figure out what kind of shots do you want the other team to take. And so much of that, the way the game's played in pick and roll, is you know, what do you want to do with your big men? I think there's times that you can back them all the way up you know, if it's not a great explosive guard, uh, there's times you can bring them up. So I think changing pick and roll coverages throughout the course of the game can be very effective, whether it's playing in a drop or trapping or getting to the level of screen. I think those are adjustments that you can make during the course of the game based on personnel. But I think a lot of the, the things that can, I think college team can really learn from the NBA is really pick and roll coverage because you're dealing with the best players in the world in pick and roll. And every coach is having to deal with the dilemma and the challenge of how do you guard James Harden? How do you guard Steph Curry? How do you guard Kevin Durant? How do you guard Damian Little? How do you guard these elite players? How do you guard Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul? Like, how do you handle these guys and pick a role? So that's all we're staying up at night dealing with is, you know, how you want to try to defend pick and roll. And then where's your help coming from? Where's your rotations coming from? Uh, I think the other thing too in the NBA is you can really clearly get into rotations, very, very sound specific rotations that may be a little bit different. You know, everybody talks about, you know, scrambling, you know, when, when there's the ball, you put two players on the ball and you've got to scramble out. Well, there's specific rotations that you can come up with that can be very clear and precise to the players that they know if the ball gets skipped to the weak side, you know exactly how you're rotating and how you're moving. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Go ahead, coach. You know, uh, when Donnie and I had lunch with you in Orlando in January, uh, it was the longest lunch I think I've had in about five years, which was neat. And, uh, but, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, we talked about at that time was that you had basically didn't have any practices almost for a month because of your schedule. It was the craziest schedule. But when you do have a practice, tell me what it looks like. Well, I remember that, that lunch, Coach, very well. You know, it was interesting. We were in a stretch where I think it was December 26th. We went from December 26th to February 1st with only one day between every game. We played the most, the most amount of games you could play in a month. We played every other day for more than a month. Wow. So one is you're taking into consideration working with the medical staff, and I think this is going on across the NBA, is the load management. And you certainly want to be able to have your best players and your players that are absorbing a lot of minutes to be able to be able to bounce back. So how you construct the next day physically so the players can go back the next night and play is critical. So you're really working closely with the medical staff. And in Oklahoma, we have an incredible medical staff, great people, and they do a phenomenal job. Uh, but I, I think if you have those two days, you know, if you got two days between a game, you know, the, the one day you kind of maybe come in and you're, just cleaning up things, and then you can get a chance to get a full practice. If you're in a situation where you're playing every other day and you're coming in, generally there's going to be a handful of things that you're going to have to focus on. You're usually going to do some kind of scripting on offense for timing and those kind of things. Uh, the one thing I'd say about the NBA players, and they're smart, they know if they go long stretches 
when they don't practice at all because of the schedule, timing gets lost, execution gets lost, spacing gets lost, running the floor gets lost. So you have to constantly try to do those things. You don't need to do them long. But like if we're going to script five on zero, we may try to do it, you know, full court, you know, just to get up and down. And maybe it's only for 15 minutes and maybe it's not against any live bodies. Uh, there may be some things that we want to clean up technique wise in the defensive end of the floor, pick and roll coverage, rotations, you know, how we're going to be guarding in isolations. Um, so you're taking a handful of things that you know you're going to see. You know, I think the one thing, like whatever you put in in training camp in terms of an identity or how you want to play, there's certain things you have to do every single night in the NBA. You're going to have to guard pick and roll. You're going to have to run back in transition. You're going to have to be able to rebound the basketball. You're going to have to be able to close out and guard the ball one-on-one. -on -one. You know, offensively, you're going to have to be able to have proper spacing. You're going to have to be able to run and get to your spots. You're going to have to be able to execute. You're going to have to be able to do all those things. So there are things that you can constantly do each and every day that are going to carry over throughout 82 games. What ends up happening is generally the day of the game when it gets team specific, that's the 10 or 20% you're focused on as you prepare for a team. So if we just got done playing against the LA Clippers, we may have a totally different pick and roll coverage for Rajon Rondo than we do for Damian Lillard if we're playing Portland, you know? So um, you, you, those are the changes that you can make, you know, going into the game. But I think you want to, as a coach, focus on the things that you know between 65 and 80% of the game, you know you're going to have to do these things. If you don't run back in transition well enough, you're probably not going to win. If you don't block out well enough, it's really, really going to be hard to overcome that. Can you defend without fouling and putting people to the free throw line? You know, can you do a great job in pick and roll coverage with the guard and the big working together? How well, is, how well do you communicate on defense and the floor? Like those are things that you can work on that don't necessarily require a lot of physical effort by them where you can balance it. So the practices, you know, can be challenging, but these guys are so smart that through film sessions, through walking through things, through, you know, drilling things, um, you, you can keep, I think, the team sharp, even though you may be in a different position than you would be in college where you play on a Wednesday and now you've got Thursday and Friday and don't play again to Saturday and you're going for an hour and a half, you know, on, on, on Thursday and Friday before your game. You're not going to have those kind of things. So, again, these guys are very smart. Uh, they understand it. You know, it was interesting when I first came there, I think the first game I coached was against the San Antonio Spurs. And, and, and I, I've been fortunate that I've had a great group of guys to work with. And, you know, Monty Williams and Mark Bryant and Mo Cheeks were former players and they were head coaches. And I said before, like a week out, we're getting ready to play San Antonio. I'm like, when do we need to put San Antonio stuff in and how we're going to guard them? And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, well, we got to start preparing how we're going to, you know, start to guard them. It's training camp's first game. We need to get ready for this. And they're like, these guys have seen San Antonio like 50 times they know exactly how they got to guard San Antonio we need to focus on ourselves so there's just a real it's it's really different and the other thing I found too which was probably the biggest adjustment for me was the days are flipped you know like practice in college and high school is generally at three o'clock we practice at 11 o'clock in the morning you know so you've got to get your work done a lot of times the night before or really early in the morning and then you have your staff meeting and you practice and then guys are pretty much all finished up by one o'clock um, so this, the, the days are totally different as well. Uh, but you're trying to do, you, you try to be as productive as you can with the limited amount of time that you have in practice. And you try to focus on the things that you know are going to be things that are going to carry over from game to game. That's great. 
Yeah, I think Billy with this uh, COVID-19 uh, hitting us here, and obviously it's, uh, it, it's created a lot of uncertainty for, for all sports organizations. But if you are a college coach here right now and, and having your team, you know, two-part two question in this right here. One, what would be your mindset right now knowing you probably can't touch your guys until August? Okay, and the second, second question would be, if you do get your guys back in August, obviously you start playing first game November 10th. What would be your mindset? Learning what you learned from the NBA, and now you come in and you got your team in a short period of time with a young team like us, 11 freshmen and sophomores coming into the door, uh, probably hearing this for the first time, six of them. What would be your mindset in a short period of time of being effective, prepare your team to get ready? You know, Don, I think it's a great question. We're probably not much different than most NBA teams. You know, we're going to get a weekly call with all of our players and the coaching staff and, you know, front office and, and people and just try to keep these guys informed of what's going on. You know, we're fortunate, you know, in Oklahoma City is that, you know, Chris Paul is the president of the Players Association, you know, so he can kind of give the team updates of what's happening, what's going on. Um, one of the things that that I would really consider doing is, you know, I think a lot of times as a coach, we spend so much time thinking about practice plans. We think about, you know, how we want to play on offense. What are some things we want to do defensively? And you spend all this time of getting prepared to go in between the lines. But to me, all that stuff never really makes a difference if you don't really have good team chemistry. And I think that this is a great opportunity for coaches and players to put the basketball piece aside because you can't really play and you're not getting together and you're not doing really individual workouts, but how can you be a better teammate? You know, how, how do you create that kind of that chemistry? And I think some of that is really based on the fact that, you know, how well do you know each other? And I think this is a great time for teams and players that are separated to get to know each other and get to talk to each other. You know, it was interesting. We had a, a call, team call a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, one of the things I tried to do is I tried to write down a specific question for each player and ask them something. You know, it was more personal, you know, about them to, to talk about. And I think getting a chance to do that in terms of building that kind of chemistry while you're apart, because I think so much in today's day and age with social media, with iPhones, with the way people talk and communicate, there is, I think, a part of people actually miss the interaction of human connection and human being with one another because everybody's isolated to a certain extent. And if you could use these calls or your team calls or what you're doing to really think about some topics that you want to talk about to try to create better chemistry and, and a better team cohesiveness, uh, th those may be points that you can reference when you do get back onto the floor and there is adversity or there is disagreements or guys have to accept their roles, or guys want a bigger role and the role that they're having to perform is not the role they maybe specifically want, but what's the greater good for the team? I think all those things are really healthy things to talk about of things that could potentially come up once the season does get resumed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. And, and the other, other part of that question was, you come back in the fall now, first time with your team. You missed the whole summer. Uh, the only messaging you're getting is obviously by uh, Zoom calls. And, and we're starting to grow as a team, know each other. Now we walk in and now we got to be able to be effective in a 20 hour limit per week NCAA rules. What would be your process with that? Well, we talked about this, Don. I never remember this. And this is back in, you know, I had, um, it was after we won the second national championship and we had nine new players come in. And um, I think a mistake that I made that year was I 
you know, knew the players as high school players, but I didn't know them as college players. And I didn't know, you know, how we were maybe going to play. I had a lot of ideas and thoughts in my mind about what may be the best thing for us to do. But I think in any situation as a coach, you want to try to make sure you're utilizing your personnel to the best of their ability. And sometimes when you get a chance to actually work with a player on the court, you find out a lot more about them than just watching them from afar. And I think one of the things that I did is when we came back, because we had these nine new players, was I used the offseason, to your point, as kind of like an exploratory thing. I, I, I ran some different things on offense, and we did different things defensively. And I just wanted to see, were we going to be a better zone team or man team? How well could we press? What would be things we could run offensively? What are these guys' skill sets? How good are they at certain situations? And what happened was I did that for a period of time, and it really gave me a lot of knowledge about our team and our players moving forward to make those decisions once the first day of practice officially started. But what happened was I never, the players never, the players viewed that time as actually we were practicing and it wasn't practice. Mm -hmm. I think there's got to be a line drawn that when you are practicing, what does it look like to practice at a rate or a level that is acceptable for you as a coach? And certainly in the NBA, you're not able to go 100% all the time, but you can have 100% concentration and focus. But I also thought like coming back, like one of the things I think people should really think about doing is one, you probably got to get guys back in shape. You got to get them back with the ball in their hands. Um, and then you got to slowly work through those things. I've always felt like the college season is the only season on a college campus that covers both semesters. And I know the NCAA rules have changed in terms of, um, you know, they give you whatever it is. You have 40 days of practice to complete in 50 days. I'm not sure what the rule actually is. But I've always believed on having a start date, giving the players a start date. Like, this is the first day of practice. And I don't think that that first official date of practice should at all resemble what's going on. So if you want to do some team things with your, with your time that you have in the months of maybe August or September before you actually start – I think doing team things are good, but I think the players need to know, hey, listen, this is really not practice. We're getting things in so we can eliminate all the talking in practice. So here's something we're going to run on offense. We're going to cover. It's not practice, but when we do do this and we go full speed or whatever it is, here's what we're going to be running. And I think that you can do those things in terms of adding things in and build things up and give them some things because I do think in today's day, day and age, and it's evolved – and I probably learned a lot of this from Coach Patino, just being with him, even when I played for him, and then even when I was at Kentucky as an assistant coach, we played all the time. And we didn't do as much maybe drill work, like one-on-one. -on -one. We did some of it. But once we put in how we were going to guard the ball or what we were going to do on, on, on offense or defense, we played. These guys played because that's the way the games played. So – I think if you want to use this time to get your system in, to get things in that you want to basically run and do, it's good. But I think the players need to know that, okay, this is not practice. You know, on this day, that's the first day of practice. And this is when we really amp it up. And this is what it needs to look like. But this right now is player development. You know, maybe you, you break up and you have players go to basket, do skill work, and then you bring them all together and you say, okay, guys, here's a set. Here's some concepts we're going to be running. And you start to build it out. Or, hey, listen, guys, we're going to play zone defense this year. Here's some things on zone. So when we get to this on the first day of practice, you guys at least have an awareness of what I'm talking about. Those are some things I think about, you know, going, going into the situation that we're all dealing with where we have a limited amount of time 
with the players right now because of, of, of the virus. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. That's excellent. Go ahead, Coach, sir. Hey, you know, our Alex Martins, the president of the Orlando Magic, came out this morning and said that he believes the NBA will play, if it has to, all the way through September. Okay? Assuming that mid-June, let's just take it as a time, or July 1, you, you guys were told you're going you're to practice. I've seen Chris Paul say he needs three or four weeks to get ready. But I remember when we came out of a lockout, they gave us 10 days <laughs> once. What do you feel you need to get a team ready? Well, I think it's interesting, Coach, because, you know, I was not obviously in the NBA during the lockout. But if you go back to the lockout, all these players had the mobility to do whatever they wanted to do to keep themselves in shape. Right. Maybe some players did more than others, but you had the chance to work out because of the situation with maybe guys not having the availability of home gyms or places they can work out during this time. I think there's got to be a limit. There's got to be some time given to the players to be able to get back. I think the last thing you want to do is put guys in harm's way that they're going to have to get hurt. So I think we're going to have to do a good job organizationally and every organization around the league is assessing where these guys are at physically and then really trying to build up to a point that they can get back to where they were before this whole pandemic started. And I think, you know, I kind of agree with Chris is saying uh, about needing a lead up time and a runway there. Uh, I think it is a good start that the possibility of opening up some facilities here in May to let players come in one on oh to get some work in and maybe, you know, regather some timing and some conditioning. But I think that ramp-up period is going to need to happen, to your point, especially if these guys have been out for as long as they've been out and have not had the availability to be able to maintain a level of conditioning that they had when this started. Do you think you, you will play actual regular season games and then playoffs? You know what, Coach? I mean, I'm, I'm probably hearing everything that everybody else is hearing out there, you know, from the league. There's not, like, any specific insight that I have on, you know, what direction we're going. The one feeling I think everybody has around the league is that the league, Adam Silver, is doing the best job he can to try to create an environment where it's extremely safe for players and personnel, uh, medical, all the people that are playing. Uh, And then also there's a commitment to try to find a way to get the season done. Uh, I think that there probably would be, you know, a lot of questions get asked, you know, what are you going to do? With the playoffs, do you write in the playoffs? Do you play some regular season games? What about some teams that maybe are right on the cusp of making the playoffs, but today they're out? You know, how do you create a fair model for all those things? I'm sure those are things the league is, is, is looking at. But I would say that what I've felt from the league and talking to our organization is that everybody's trying to do the best job they can to put their foot, best foot forward to try to do everything they can to salvage the season. DJ? Yeah. Uh, well, I know, Billy, my time with you. Um, you know, we had some really good players, obviously. We had some really talented guys, but we also had some guys that were kind of unknowns, you know, like a Jason Williams, for instance, and, and probably one of your, your greatest qualities. A lot of people talk about uh, not only what a great teacher you are, uh, you was kind of known as a great recruiter later on uh, with some of the guys we got, but probably – I know being with you all those years, one of the greatest things you, you were able to do is take people's talent uh, from a place uh, where it began and take it to a different level. And I think in thinking about that is, you know, how can you, as for a lot of these coaches out there, a lot of times they just say, hey, we got bad players, you know, we're just not very good. Uh, you know, how, how 
with some of the advice you would share with them that you can take somebody and take a player and make them realize uh, the talent they have? What are some of the techniques and thoughts that you kind of done with some of your players to maximize their talent when you coach them? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. We all, you know, Donnie, I think his coaches probably sit up and trying to figure out ways to make our team better and make each individual player better. Um, you know, one of the things that I really feel like, you know, in, in college, you know, is I, I think that for players, sometimes they don't necessarily see the same vision for themselves as you see in them. And generally, I think a lot of times people probably sell themselves short of what level they could maybe get to. And I think in order for them to get to a level that really maybe exceeds their own personal expectations, they're going to have to really be uncomfortable, you know, and I've always felt this way, you know, like what, it, what it takes to be a great player is not easy. And, you know, you mentioned Jason Williams, you know, Jason Williams was maybe one of the biggest gym rat basketball junkies I've ever been around in my entire life. I've never been around a guy. And I shouldn't say never, but he's, he's up there with anybody as his love for the game and how much he loved playing and that internal drive he had to be the very, very best he could. I'd even throw a Brett Nelson in that category too, or a Matt Bonner or Mike Miller, or even Udonis Haslam, Joe Kim Noah, Al Horford, Corey Brewer, you know, Torian Green. There, there was an internal drive that they had. You felt the tremendous responsibility to give those guys all you had because they really wanted to be great. The challenge is what do you have, what do you, how do you handle a guy that maybe has the potential, has the ability, but just doesn't have that drive and just is maybe selling himself short, is not reaching a level that he's more than capable of because it's got to come from the player. I think what you've got to be able to do is like it's okay, and I've always felt this way, like it's okay for a player to say it's not that important to me. i got other interests. I'm not interested in being great at the game. You know, and then you got other guys that want to be great at the game. But I do think it's every player's responsibility to make that decision. Mm -hmm. And they've got to understand, I think, at Florida, what we try to do is we try to recruit guys and bring guys in that love the game because we as coaches all love the game. And those are the guys you feel like you can impact the most. It's as a coach, how do you really impact that player that's maybe not motivated and maybe needs someone to help them motivate them? But I think there's got to be an expectation you hold them to because they are in your program and you do have an obligation to them. And I've always felt as a coach, the one thing I'd never wanted to have a player say to me was, why didn't you do more with me? Why didn't you push me more? You know, I, I could have been so much better, but you really just didn't do enough. Those are the ones that are hard because a lot of times they don't see it until they get a lot older. I think the other thing, Donnie, too, is we as coaches have got to accept the fact and it took me a long time to get to this place. You know, every single day that player is a seed. And we're watering that seed every day. You know, we're doing different stuff, you know, to try to get that seed to grow. And, and, and sometimes those seeds grow really quickly. You know, Joe Kim Noah, after his freshman year, kind of just exploded. You know, Al Horford came in and was great right away. You know, um, other players like a, a, a Casey Prather, you know, or a Chandler Parsons, you know, developed a little bit later. And then there are players – that come back and see you eight or 10 years after they're gone and say, I understand what you're talking about now. Mm -hmm. You've got to be able as a coach to accept that that seed may not flower at a time when it benefits your program. Mm -hmm. That seed may flower 
when that player is long beyond your program. But you know what? Maybe in some way it helps that player in their job, in their family, as a father, as a husband, whatever it may be. Because we all want these guys to get it right now. And it's not that you need to be patient in terms of pushing them and challenging them, but you have to be patient and accept the fact that those guys may not develop into who they are with what you're trying to do well, well, well later on in life. Mm -hmm. Those are the most frustrating ones. You know, when a, and it's, it's a you know, player comes back and says, you know, I understand what you're talking about now. I'm like, well, it would have been nice if you would have got it when you were here, you know? <laughs> Uh, but that's just not the way it works. And I think as a coach, you've got to try to make sure you're doing the right thing all the time. And there's different, you know, there's different ways, you know, you know, to, to try to water that soil. You know, sometimes you got to put your arm around them. Sometimes you got to push them. Sometimes you got to, you know, make it more difficult. Sometimes you got to ease up on like it's a constant balancing act. But I think the investment in a player that they know that the coach cares and is trying to pull the best out of them. Uh, that's the, those are the ones that are hard. But they've got to answer the question, you know, how good do you want you to be? I want you to be great, but I can't help you be great if you don't want to be great. And, and really having those kind of discussions with those kind of players. And I've had players tell me, like, listen, I really need someone to push me. I can't do it myself. I need you to push me. Just keep staying on me and force me to do this. Then there's other guys that are just incredibly internally motivated. They show up every single day and you don't got to do anything. To them. They're just always ready to go. Um, so, you know, everybody's a little bit different, but I would say the best players that I've coached and the best players I've coached in the NBA, there is an unbelievable internal drive that they have to be great. That's awesome. That's a great answer. Go ahead, uh, Coach. You know, uh, Chuck Daly had a great saying, Billy. He said that 90% of the NBA players, the 450 best players in the world, 90% of them are role players. They might not agree with us, but that's what he felt. But the best players in the league, the best players on your team, they're the hardest guys to coach. And it's like teaching the smartest kid in a chemistry class. And we're maybe, how do you go about reaching that super gifted player at the NBA level? Well, I think that's a great point, coach, because like, for instance, like we have Chris Paul and uh, this is my first year with Chris and, and he's been amazing. And, and, and um, you know, it's same thing with any other great player. You know, I use Chris cause he's here now, but He's in the building every day at 8.30. He, his routine and what he does is unbelievable. Like Chris Paul's 34 years old, so he doesn't necessarily have this huge um, room for growth in terms of like his game's not going to change a whole lot. But what he's fighting for desperately every day, which I love, is he's fighting for these small incremental improvements to get better how to make his body feel better, how to diet, how to nutrition, all those things. So when you have guys that are that driven, you know, they're going to have opinions and thoughts on a lot of different things. And it's okay to disagree with them and it's okay to, 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 to debate about it. But you all want the same thing. But I also think that you have to, when those guys are watching film at night or they've got opinions or thoughts, I think you've got to at least partner with them and listen to them and, and talk to them and get them to understand what you're trying to do, uh, whether it be for them as an individual player or for the, the group as a team. And um, I think those great players that you're talking about, it, it's not so much that they're, that, that they're hard to deal with or hard to coach, but I can relate to that because we all love the game and we all want to be really, really good at what we do. 
I can relate to where they're coming from. You know, they feel like, hey, listen, if, if, if this is not going to go well, I want it to not go well on what I believe in. And the great players to me are the ones that are convicted. They're convicted on what they believe. They're convicted on competition. They're convicted. And once you understand what they're convicted on, you can work with them. And then sometimes it's give and take, you know, that that may not be the best thing at the you know, moment in time. I and mean, we had a situation, you know, as competitive as Chris Paul was, and you'll know this, Brendan, we're playing against Milwaukee and the game is not going well. And, um, you know, as competitive as he is, we're down by 30 at the end of the third quarter. And he wants to go back in there and play. And, you know, I'm telling him, no, we, we, don't, we don't need that. You know, we got another game coming. We're in a back-to-back -back right now. We don't need that. But, you know, you admire the fact that it's not gone well for three quarters and he's willing to do whatever it is to get or try to help the team get back in the game. And they have such great belief and conviction. But I think sometimes those convictions for them, you've got to be able to say what's best and sound for the team. And I think those great players understand that, you know, when you're yeah. talking to them about those things. And Eric Spolster had a great, great quote about Dwayne Wade, and I loved it. He said, you know, the great players, like a guy like Dwayne Wade, they can be very, very stubborn. He said, but you're, they're also very stubborn when they're down 25. <laughs> and those are the kind of players you want. You know, they're stubborn when it's not going well, and they're stubborn when they're down, but that's what makes them great. So how do you try to get them to understand that in all of us in our lives, our greatest strengths are our greatest weaknesses. You can be so ultra competitive that can get the best of you. And sometimes, you know, you've got to be able to have, I think as a coach to show them, okay, like right now, this may be getting in the way. And one thing I'd say about all these guys, to your point, the really, really elite great ones, the internal competitiveness is at a totally different level. I mean, these guys have got it turned on all the time and I admire it and I love it and respect it. Um, and I think that they want to be great. And, you know, when you're working with them and partnering with them, uh, I, I think you, you both can get a lot out of it, player and coach. Coach? Yeah, Coach, you can go ahead. I, I'm going to finish up with uh, Billy after oh. one more question uh, with the okay. top ten questions, and we'll finish up and let him go. Oh. Oh. Okay. Uh, last thing I wanted to ask you, Bill. Uh, would you say now – you know, having been in the league five years, would you say now that what have you learned that if you came back, they dropped you back in the coaching college tomorrow, what would you take and put into the way you play that you didn't do before maybe? Yeah, I think what I talked about a little bit earlier, Coach, defensively, yeah. I think there's some things you can take from there, you know, as well. Um, I, I, I think that, um, you know, because you're in the locker room so much and because you're watching tape so much, um, and you have a lot of time in college to do this, you know, how can you really utilize tape as a teaching tool? Because a lot of times in college, you're using the teaching tool being on the floor. You're on the floor with the players. You have well, a lot of times maybe you don't have that time. So how do you creatively put together edits and tapes where it can be a really, really good teaching tool for the players because when you go in there and you know you're not going to have a lot of time on the practice court what do you do in the film session tape wise that can help the team and individuals get better and show them things that they can take and say okay you know what that makes sense so i think there's a way you know because i know like in college at least the way i did it was you know generally if you had a game on a saturday thursday was maybe you started to show some personnel friday you started to show 
uh, you know, really uh, maybe the team sets or what they're going to run. And you kind of build out your film, what you're going to show the team. And generally it's about the opponent. I would really look at how do you show film, not only after a day of game, but even after practice. You know, like if you got a game on Saturday and you practice on Thursday, do you come in Friday and actually show Friday's practice film on areas that can help your team get better? Because most of the film sessions in college when the season starts is all predicated on your opponent. And I think this could be a very, very useful platform because of the amount of time you have in college to utilize some film sessions to, to help your team get better. How long is that film session though? I think it could be quick. You know, like we, if, if there's something that we're really looking to, you know, uh, talk about, you know, like for us, uh, when you create an identity, there's things that we want to show every day to that identity. So for us, I'm just using this like, okay, running the floor and correct spacing. You know, do you take some clips and show them, hey guys, here's two clips where we did not space the floor correctly and look what happened. Then look at mm -hmm. these two clips where we did space the floor and look at the room and the space everybody to play. It could just be four clips like that. Like you can get through a clip. I don't, I'm not, I think there's times, you know, when you need to show a lengthy, long film session and keep the players in there. But I, I think that if you can keep it very, very precise and quick, you can do it in a few minutes. And when I say a few minutes, you could have 10, 12, 15 clips that can go by in a few minutes that you can make your point on one uh, on a specific topic. It may just be spacing, maybe three things. Hey, we're going to talk about spacing today. We're going to talk about execution. And, and we're going to talk about, you know, um, uh, you know, relocations when there's dribble penetration. You know, those are three quick things that you can hit that can help your team get better that you're going to have to do the very next game. It's got nothing to do with the opponent. You know, or you can sit there and say, hey, guys, we're not doing a good enough job pick and roll coverage wise, pressing up in the ball. Look at us yesterday in practice. If we do this in this game, it's not going, we got to press up. Hey, big, so you guys have got to communicate the coverage a lot better. We're not communicating. Like you can take things that can, those, those film sessions can be very quick and short. I also think one of the things that we did up here, which I really like, is I think sometimes it's even good to take the bigs and bring the bigs and let them watch some things and let the guards watch some things or cross over and put bigs and guards in a room and like just mix up your film sessions to really utilize it where they can be, they can be engaged. Because I think that most people are going to learn through watching film or executing things on the court, you know, and the more that they, it can be precise that they know exactly what they're looking at. Because I think you can go into a film session and, you know, show 35 clips but you're touching like 15 different things. And how do you make it really point specific where you can get better as a team? Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's excellent. Excellent. All right, Bill, we're going to close out here. I'm going to give you 10 quick questions. You can give one or two word answers here. All right. Um, some things Better here. not fail. All right. <laughs> There's no wrong answer. A lot of these are directed just your uh, internal uh, compass, man. Home okay. Thing. All right. First one, best moment as a player. Uh, Final Four at Providence. Your favorite food? Seafood. Mm -hmm. Best moment as a college coach? Uh, national championships. Yep. Your, um, your favorite band, music? <laughs> That's a lot. Classic rock. How's that? Yeah. I thought it'd be you too, man. I thought maybe you too. They're in there. They're in there. Yep. Growing up, your favorite player, NBA player, that you watched? George, the Iceman, Gervin. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Coach, you probably uh, coached against him, right? Coach, sir? Yeah, wow. Unfortunately, I couldn't score like him. You didn't have that <laughs> finger roll, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the hardest player to defend in the NBA. Ooh. Mm. And that's a tough one. There's several. There's, there's so many guys that I couldn't even put my finger on one of those guys. Okay. I mean, there's so many guys. I mean, they all present different challenges, whether it's a Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant or James yeah. Harden, Steph Curry or Russell Westbrook. Yeah. I mean, there's so many guys. They all present different challenges. I couldn't just give you one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what I figured. I knew that was a hard one. Last book you read. The last book I read, you know what I read is I've been, I read some mafia books. Mm. Um, uh, <laughs> just, I, I, for some reason, I enjoy reading that stuff. Uh, found it maybe from, coming from New York. Um, and then I've tried to, um, uh, you know, I, I read, I read a, a, a book that I really, really loved a lot. I forget the name of it, but it was what, it was about when, it was from Wynton Marsalis, the jazz player. Mm-hmm. And it was about how jazz music, they all have to play with each other. And it almost reminded me a lot of being in a team sport. And it was really, really fascinating listening to him talk about the humility and the lack of ego. And everybody's got to compliment each other and play off of each other. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really fascinating a book to read. That's a great one. That's great. Uh, the best player you played against as a player in college. The guy that caused me, the guy that caused me probably the most trouble as a player was probably Sherman Douglas. The two best players I played against in college were probably Patrick Ewing and Chris Mullen. Yeah. The Big East was the real deal then. Yeah. Yes. Um, One of the qualities, there's many uh, that you think about those great teams we had there that stand out to you. What's one quality you think you're going to have for a great team? The love and care for each other. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's a great comment. Most important quality for any young coach to have starting out? Have to be yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's it. Yep, that's great. Those are really good. Coach, sir, any closing comments for, for we let Billy go here? I know he's got a lot going on today. Anything else you'd like no. to talk with there? No, just uh, so thankful for your friendship over the years and how you've invested in all coaches. And I think uh, that's who you are. And I think, uh, you know, you, you've always grown people. And, uh, and I think a lot of people in the NBA, they feel that when they get there, they can't do that, but you've shown it. It doesn't matter where you coach or who you coach. It's still about people. So thank you for, uh, and always for your friendship. Well, Brendan, same thing here. You've always been a great friend. I've always been able to call you and bounce things off of you and talk. And I really, really appreciate uh, your kindness and goodness to me, you know, as a person and as a coach and all the time you invested in me. And uh, Donnie, I'll say this, uh, you know, the best thing I did back at uh, Marshall, you know, was keep you on staff and uh, so grateful our past cost. So both you guys are really, really dear to my heart. I love both of you. And I I, I really, really appreciate uh, having some time to talk. It was great. Yeah. Well, Billy, we appreciate it. Same here. You know, our times have been incredible uh, being together and our families are are like family still. And uh, we're just thankful uh, for all the experiences we shared together and the opportunities I know I had. Uh, I really grew as a coach, a person and a man. So thank you for that. And and thanks for taking time and being with us. This is huge for us as we're building our program here at Stetson. And we're trying to share just like you always have. And Coach Sir, we're just trying to build other coaches and and just trying to create a platform here for people to learn and grow from, especially during this time. That's great. I appreciate you guys and enjoy the rest of the day and stay safe and hope everybody's well. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Talk to you soon. Thank you.
Bye-bye. Bye. Coach, we're going to hang on here and reflect a little bit here. So, uh, you know, obviously some great stuff, great questions there on Billy. And, you know, obviously, Billy, there's anybody sitting there listening can see one. He's the same guy I met back in 1996, just a humble guy. Success hasn't changed him, as you can see. Uh, he's still got the same mindset, growth mindset, as we always talk about. Uh, he really loves to learn. He loves to share. Uh, he really does care. And, you know, one of the greatest qualities Billy had, I, I sit and I reflect. Now, I've been a head coach for 10 years, and, you know, I, I know and I sit and think about who he was as he went through different stages as a young coach. First, he was a teacher. Second, he became a great recruiter. That's why he won. And then third, people really, I think, respected his ability uh, to, to build teams. Uh, he built people. I think he really spent as much time off the floor uh, with guys individually, one-on-one. -on -one. He really cared about trying to get to know who they were and what made him go and how he could change their behavior and their mindset. And he brought people in. And I know you spent a lot of time with us and was very instrumental to a lot of Billy's growth and, and my growth and a lot of our growth. Uh, but he really embraced that. And a lot of guys who get to that platform and they have success, they're afraid to ask for help. They're afraid to listen to other people. And they think they got it all figured out. And I've met a lot of those guys on my travels in college. So uh, just your thoughts on that, Coach, you know, because you were a part of it early on as well with Billy. Yeah, I think one of the really important things about Billy is, number one, he's a constant and continuous learner. He's always, you know, he's – you know, everyone, and I, and I would say it if he was on the call, we spoke, you know, you know, for an hour last week. Everyone before the season, they had a pool out of when he would be fired, whether it be week two, three, or four this season, because his team was stripped of talent. But you know what? He went in and he convinced those players we're all in the same situation. You know, I don't know what's going on. You don't know what's going on. But all I wanted to do is make this year the best experience for each of you. He was concerned about them. And the thing I think that is when I first started to work with Billy, when I would come up and visit you guys at Florida and I would try to tell him how a guy like Chuck Daly or UB Brown would coach in the NBA and cause he was really interested in learning. And he said, you know, and he basically was from the Rick Pitino school who was worked for UB even, and I've known forever. And he said, well, that's soft coaching. I don't believe in soft coaching. And now he is the softest coach in the world. And soft by that means soft hands. Mm -hmm. He embraces players. He loves his players. He knows he said he loved the guys and what they did. It's all about that. And it's about he loves Chris Paul. You know, everyone thought that was the worst deal in the world because he was getting stuck with this 34-year-old guy with four years to go in a contract, the highest paid guard in the league. But no, you know what? He's been like the best assistant coach that a guy could ever have. He also has never been afraid to hire great talent. And I stress that to any head coach. Don't surround yourself with people that can't help you. And, and you know, Chuck Daly used to say, I'm not going to hire you unless you're better than me and no more than me. Well, that was all BS, okay, to be honest with you, because he was a genius. But he made that you feel important. And he went out. And if you look at Billy's staff, we talk about coaching trees. It's a joke how many great coaches he has, how many head coaches work for him now, from the Rob Lanier's to Rick, Richard Pitino, the Larry Shiats, to Anthony Grant's yourself. Uh, you know, it just goes on and on, but never afraid to hire someone to sit next to him. That's great. Shaka Smart, et cetera. 
Absolutely. And you know, that's probably, and we've talked many times, coach, even with Chuck Daly, you know, one of the greatest attributes of Billy is you never felt like you were working for him. You felt mm -hmm. like you were with him. Uh, and Billy never act like he was the boss. He made the boss decisions, but at the end of the day, you felt like you were with him side by side. And then, you know, there's three different ways to lead. You can lead in front, you can lead side by side, and you can lead from behind. And, you know, Billy was one of those guys that was leading side by side most of the time uh, with you. Uh, he had to be at the top uh, by leading in the public eye. But, but there's times from behind he was pushing you too. Uh, but it was never one where you always felt like you worked with him. Uh, he was a relentless worker, but you never felt guilty being in the office every day with him with the time he was there because – uh, it was fun to go to work. You always used to say you want a place that's fun to go to work with someone you feel you're learning from and can make you better. And I stayed for 13 years. I was fortunate because I felt like I was getting better every day. Never felt like I didn't learn something and I couldn't wait to go to work. So, uh, and I feel that way now working with you every day is, is getting a chance to learn every day is, is, is an excitement for myself still as a coach uh, that I get to learn. I'm trying to get back just because, you know, I'm telling my wife, I really am happy I'm home with you, but I really want to be with Donnie, <laughs> you know. But yeah, no. So no, that we have a family, and that's what your coaching staff should be, as well as your players. And don't be afraid to love the guys that you work with, and also the players that you're with, because you know we Chuck had this all these great dailyisms, and one of the ones that always got me was, you can't fool dogs, kids, or NBA players. We can't <laughs> fool dogs, kids or college players, or high school players. They know how you feel about them. Yeah, absolutely, Coach. And, I, and I'll say, you know, the last thing, you know, I think about all those relationships. And, and, and Billy focused on, you know, early on, we were all young guys and young families. We, we celebrated birthday parties. We went on vacations together for weeks. Uh, we did everything together, Christmas parties, birthday parties, uh, weekend trips, played cards at night. Uh, everything was our staff and our wives and our families. And so uh, he created that atmosphere and, and there was a different chemistry and connection where none of us cared who got the credit and it was all about our players. And that breathed life into our players. I mean, they know the chemistry of your staff and that's a vital part. You don't see it as much today. Uh, I think a lot of guys get hired for different reasons. And I think sometimes we don't get a chance to spend the time with staff like we used to, but it needs to be a focal point because that was key for us uh, during that time. Yeah, that was really – this was special. He's a, an iconic figure. He's a Hall of Fame coach. As, you know, he's – as soon as – you know, he's, as soon as there's a break in something, he's going to be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, he's that good. He's now done it not just at the college, but what he's done at the NBA level without ever having any experience is amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, Coach, thanks for uh, being with us here as well. And, uh, and another special thanks to, to Billy uh, spending time with us today. I know this is an important time for him with all the decisions being uh, made with the NBA uh, situation. So uh, we thank him for taking time with us. And, and we just want to thank you for being with us here today. Thank you.